Welcome to the Jerusalem Lights Podcast with Rabbi Chaim Richman, whose goal is Torah for everyone. I'm your co-host, Jim Long, and now, Rabbi Chaim Richman. Shalom, Jim. Shalom to all of our listeners. I hope everyone, you and all of our listeners are having a wonderful month of Nissan so far. Ah, thank you, Rabbi. Uh, shalom to you. And uh, I hear good things are happening in Israel finally. The, the lockdowns are easing up a little bit now. Easing up just a little bit. Right? I hope. Uh, yeah, I, I hope so. <laughs> I, I, it sounds good. It sounds well, good. I wanted to borrow a phrase and and uh, and uh, give it right back to you because it's one of my favorite phrases, and that is is that uh, you always tell people to open up their hearts in the deepest way, and that's really what we're really doing today in this parsha. We're in the. We, you and I both know this is the heart of the Torah. It is the it is the the middle physically the middle of a Torah scroll. It is the heart of the Torah. And, and what is the heart of the Torah? We, we have come all the way through the building of the Mishkan. And what's the first thing that we start reading in Vayikra? What does it involve? And this is the heart. The, the, the offerings. The, the offerings in the, the temple. The, the Korbanot. Exactly. And it's, it's amazing because I love this Parsha. I say that every week. But I love I love the parshas for different reasons, and I love this parsha because it's an opportunity for you to really forgive me for saying this: slaughter some sacred cows. Oh, yeah, because we need we need to do that, and this is a this is a parsha that really represents what I think distances some people from embracing Torah fully because they misunderstand the whole teaching of this parsha, right? Yes, the, the the whole book really. This this whole concept of the the korbanot, the offerings, um, in the in the Mishkan later to become the holy temple. And and you know very well, Jim, that one of my biggest pet peeves is when people call this the sacrifices because that yeah. word is a, is a horrible mistranslation of an idea in the Torah, which is about. Uh, a spiritual process that brings a person closer to Hashem, and that has to do with an inner uh, rectification that is taking place within a person. And th this is the whole idea of what the temple is. It's a workshop for the ennoblement of the human spirit. And this, the, unquestionably, the, the subject of the korbanot, the offerings in the temple, and again, I say offerings because the word sacrifices is totally irrelevant. Sacrifice means uh, to give to give up something, you know, to to, to be deprived, uh, loss, and and korban comes from the word uh, karov, li karev. It means to draw close, to become involved in a in a relationship. So, this is absolutely, I think, we can say without a doubt, the most misunderstood and all maligned and also and also just just, just totally um, abused topic in Torah because it is seen as something that is, um, you know, uh, uh, primitive and and uh, God forbid, uh, bordering on pagan and and it is uh, so totally irrelevant. And that was then because people of their mindset and whatever it is that people uh, uh, say about the offerings, well, the problem is that if one believes that Hashem is uh, eternal and the creator and that the Torah is the blueprint of creation and the manifestation of, of his will, so then we, we would have, it would take some humility to be able to say, maybe it's my problem, not his problem. Maybe I need to understand what this is, what this is all about. And the fact is that we have been raised in a, in a, in a completely different worldview than that, that you know, than what this is really all about, and so we need to try and, like you say, open up our heart in the deepest way, unquestionably, to try and understand what the message is here, because it is completely misunderstood. And you know, last week we spoke about the the golden calf, and and we got some very wonderful positive feedback and comments from from folks who really. Uh, it jolted them, you know, the un the understanding of what um, the Torah's real uh, moral lesson for us is about about the golden calf. Um, and th that's the thing is that there are a lot of, you know, pardon me, sacred cows that people have built up in their minds as far as ideas, as far as uh, even what they assume the biblical truths are. 
and and so so much of it is just totally misunderstood and it really does need to be shattered people's conceptions need to be shattered and that's what happens when people draw close to torah that's that's again the, the amazingly inspiring beautiful moving people that are corresponding with us that are that are listening to jerusalem lights that are watching videos that are coming to the zoom programs there they are they are relating how you know they have such a a, a completely new understanding of what the truth really is because they have basically been manipulated their, their yeah. whole lives by, 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 by these, these man-made ideas that have been interpolated onto, onto Hashem's Torah. And there's, there's no better example than, than the offerings has been totally hijacked and, and totally misunderstood. And so that's what we really need to talk about. Well, this is a perfect example of, you know, the idea of characterizing the, um, uh, the slaughtering of, 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 you know, of sacred cows of, you know, don't, don't touch that animal, that physical thing, because it, uh, uh, we, we hold it holy. And it, it's amazing that this comes after the episode of, of the, the golden calf, because the golden calf in many respects represents enshrining something physical and material and elevating it above all other things I mean, that's really what the the golden calf is all about. And not only that, but when people say, you know, be careful not to not to slaughter any golden calf, what they're what they're saying is that, you know, I'm afraid that if I pull that out from under you, you'll you'll just totally, uh, you know, uh, discombobulate because you because you know you're leaning on that. That thing yeah. is like your your crutch. That that and that's what they mean when they say be careful not to slaughter any any sacred cows and and and. And so too, you know, people have a certain kind of conception of God. The Old Testament, you know, deity, they think that, that when they read the book of Leviticus, they, they assume what they're doing is they're, the, the terrible um, injustice that they're doing is that they're taking some pagan ideas and they're plugging that into their reading of the Torah. So they're assuming, oh, God is like very, very vengeful, very, very angry. He wants you to slaughter an animal and then maybe he'll consider forgiving you because it's, he, he needs to see you know, the, the blood sacrificed of an animal. And that has nothing to do whatsoever with the program in the book of Leviticus, it, it's, it's a total misunderstanding. It's, it's um, taking a pagan worldview and trying to interpolate it onto Hashem's Torah, which is not what's going on here at all. And, and, and really, you know, you have to understand, like, we better do something about this. This is why a lot of people ha have a problem with the book of Leviticus that, you know, because they, and, and why they feel that they have to say, well, you know, that was then, and it has to do with who people were then, but obviously we've evolved since then. And you even have Jews saying this, you have rabbis saying mm -hmm. that there aren't going to be offerings in the third temple. And that isn't the case. The, the, the commandment of the offerings is, is forever. We were it was never canceled. And, and when you look at the scope of Torah, since we've begun this cycle in Breshit, we went through the book of Genesis, which is the, the foundation of everything that, you know, that, the whole concept of creation and those early generations and, and the development of the nation of Israel and going down to Egypt and coming out of Egypt in the book of Exodus and the giving of the Torah, the miracles of the Exodus, the miracles of Mount Sinai. And immediately we had immediately after the giving of the Torah, we have the first real mitzvah was given publicly was to, create the tabernacle because yeah. Hashem wants that continuation of the Sinai experience. He wants to bring the people into the land and set up the temple as the uh, heartbeat of the nation to constantly be able to uh, work on, on refining themselves. And now what we have with Vayikra is we have the manual for how to basically relate to the divine presence, meaning how to deserve for the divine presence to be in the world by, by what is only by one thing. But, and this is the whole secret of the book of Leviticus in one sentence, becoming more and more of a human being all yeah. the time. That's our goal because yeah. we have a, a, a very um, strong connection with the animal world and, and the animal within us, the darker nature is lurking so close to the surface that we 
have a constant lifelong battle of elevating the divine spark within us, the, the, the human being within us, the, the, the image of God, which is a man, and, and subjugating the, the animal soul. And if we don't work on that all the time, then you have basically the world as we have it today. Yeah. There's your answer. Well, it's, it's also a very, it's a, almost a primordial lesson from Hashem that began literally when uh, Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden and you had Cain and Abel, the two sons who were ma making offerings and, and God and their, their separate responses to making an offering was a key to their relationship with the, with the creator. And this, our understanding of this concept of the temple uh, being rebuilt and operating every day with offerings being brought every single day is a lesson to us on how, first of all, how the universe literally functions. It, 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 it's, it's a lesson in physics for this nation of priests that God established on Sinai and then by connection, the rest of us. But Rabbi, this was, this was a study that brought me closer to Torah because coming out of a, a non-Jewish you know, upbringing, coming, being a, a Christian at one time, when I, this was one of the hurdles. This was one of the sacred cows that I had to, to slay is, okay, I got to get past this, uh, air, air quotes now, sacrifice. I've got to get past this because this seems to me to be uh, something that a, a people who, by every indication, when I meet a Jew, every Jew I've ever met, and especially in Israel, are the most humane, the most intelligent people I've spent time with. Not to say that the rest of us aren't, but for a people who, who really have been progressive in their thinking for 3,000 years to suddenly seemingly revert back to this practice, I had to get around that. And when I did, my understanding of Torah and my relationship, our relationship with Hashem took a quantum leap forward. I managed to get that word in quantum, didn't I? So the point being, the point being that, that uh, the study of it, again, it, it, this is what's amazing is the Korbanot is supposed to bring you closer to God. Well, by the way, studying the Korbanot and understanding it literally brings you closer to God. And I want to address the hypocrisy that all of us need to throw off when it comes to the idea that, oh, you know, they're killing these animals. Well, the majority of people on this planet, we depend on animals in so many ways. You know, if you're wearing a belt or you're wearing leather shoes or if you're wearing if you're wearing wool, you know, if you eat a hamburger, if you enjoy any meat of any kind, and, and by the way, if you're a, a proud vegetarian you're, and you're eating fish, that fish has got to die. OK, and the, the point being is it's really hard for us to sustain our lively our lives without the 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 death of, of a living creature. And by the way, whether it's an animal or even uh, you, you might even consider, you know, the, the, the temple offerings also in the Minka offerings also include plant life. And what is so what is so vital about understanding this is to notice that the temple offerings, the Corbinote every day involve animal, vegetable and mineral, the things that literally make the world go round. It, it is life inculcated right there. Animal, vegetable and mineral are elevated in the service By of man, God. Because By the man. Kohen is the Kohen is ministering to Hashem, utilizing all of these aspects of the strata of creation. Every korban, every offering is accompanied with salt. Yeah. The 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 the, uh, the flower offerings, the mincha, are uh, various types of uh, grains, and also there's the wine libation, there's the mm -hmm. water libation. Everything is represented, and of course the the animal offering itself. The idea being that there is a totally holistic i want to say quantum and i don't even know if it applies <laughs> it is a totally <laughs> perfect unified life force it's the way is yeah it's the way the world it's, uh it's it's the way the world literally functions we, if if i can not this is the right place to inject this but please. but it, it is it is the 
life is sustained on this planet because every element that, that we just mentioned, in effect, offers itself up in the service of the of the element above it. The, so you're the, describing the food chain, basically. Yeah, exactly. The minerals in the soil offer and, it, offer its constituents the grasses and the animals, and the grasses and the animals sustain us. And 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 then what do we do? Do we die to to complete the cycle? No. God says, because you are the crown of creation, you are at the top of the level, you have free will, which is what none of these other things have. You have a choice to take all those all those constituents that that give you life and you can turn around. And and how do you offer yourself in service to each other and in service to humanity? It's it's an amazing lesson. A spiritual level, these forces are, are, are kind of in a struggle. And there, there is an idea that the sages teach that in the temple, at the divine service, that's when all of these forces are reaching a tikkun because they're all working together. Yeah. And there's a kind of like, a, again, a universal, like uh, wholesomeness and, and harmony. I, I want to call it the unity of, of the life force. Let me take this back just a little bit. Let me take this back a little bit to Nissan, because again, the timing is always perfect. The, the concept of this month is uh, an expression of um, Hashem's joy and the joy of all creation because the Shekhinah, the divine presence, was welcomed into the world when the tabernacle was dedicated on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And then the Nisan continues, and this is the month of redemption. This is the month of the exodus from Egypt. And the, the whole idea of what's going on in the temple service is an expression of, of Hashem's dwelling in, in the world and an ongoing renewal of creation. So, so this month of Nisan, it has so many beautiful characteristics. You know, it's obviously ushering in the spring, se- this, uh, spring season and it's obviously um, a time of, of tremendous um, uh, spiritual elevation. You know, there's a particular blessing that is recited in this month, during this month of Nisan that cannot be recited any other time of year. And it is especially saved for this month. It's a special blessing that is recited once a year. And in it, we praise Hashem's renewal of creation. And the blessing is when we see fruit trees that are in bloom. Mm. It's a, a very ancient tradition. It comes from the Mishnah. And it's only during the month of Nisan when there, when we see fruit trees that are that are um the the fruit hasn't yet begun to to grow but before the fruit there's a flower and so when we see fruit trees that are flowering we make a beautiful blessing we say blessed are you hashem our god king of the universe whose world does not lack anything who created in its beautiful creations and beautiful trees for the pleasure of mankind amen that's the that. blessing. Is that amazing? And and so we look for opportunities. Uh, you know, it's not easy for city dwellers. We look for opportunities during this month of Nisan to find fruit trees to be able to stand and 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 look at them and then praise Hashem for their beauty. And this is a tremendously significant idea. Um, it ha- it has a, so many levels of 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 meaning and on, a, on the simplest level of all the idea is that there is there is a divine force in every aspect of creation that we are connected to in fact there's an idea in in, in kabbalah that when we have the proper concentration and intention of making this blessing we are equipped as it were to to elevate the souls that are that are in in that level of creation, because there are souls in every level of creation. Right. There's a life we, force. We, yeah. Yes. That we, that we don't perceive. So what, I, so what you see from that, Jim, is this idea of this, of this tremendous unity that we're all bound up in this one unit of life, but there are different levels. Yeah. And man's level, man's level is higher than that of any other level of creation. And more important, yes, more important, and we have to be able to say that unabashedly that we are more important than animals because that's part of the idea of what 
the holy temple is is all about because because the, there is a fragmented worldview which basically is that we don't have any more rights than animals have. You know, right. certainly we're not allowed to abuse animals. We're not allowed to take advantage of animals, but they, but mankind is the purpose of creation and everything is to serve man in order for him to become as best as he can be in terms of, of, of his spiritual um, potential. Another one of the primary functions of the Corbinot is to teach that there is a distinct separation that Hashem makes between humanity and the animal world. And, and this is something that is also sustained and taught in this. And the idea is that, yes, we're all created as, as uh, you know, you, 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 you characterized it a few minutes ago as there is this, there is this thin line between us being, you know, just savage animals and that, that, uh, but, but uh, yes, the, the, the teachings of the Torah elevate us and bring us, teach us how to overcome that. But the, but the Corbinote separates us from the animals in a very special way because yes, it's given- I, I maintain this is the true purpose of, of the divine service of the Corbinote of the offerings in the temple is basically to remind a human being of his divinely given humanity. That's that's really what we are supposed to be uh, doing there. We're supposed to be taking this to heart. You know, the so many things that we've spoken about through the years, the concept of, of how Hashem's name uh, appears in the book of Leviticus only in, as the name of mercy, as the right. name of chesed, the name right. of love, because there's something about the bringing of the offering that is yeah. an act of love, because it, because the, the the greatest thing that we can do is to reinstate our, our humanity. And it, and it is a slippery slope. And you, Jim, you actually, a couple of years ago, you rocked my world when you sent me an email that was so, that was so uh, incredibly um, disturbing to me that I actually incorporated in a, in a video that year. It was a couple of years ago. You, you sent me, just around this time of Parshat Vayikra, you sent me an email and you wrote to me that, um, and that, this is exactly why I have the email here. You wrote, Dear Rabbi, in the past you've taught that one of the many reasons for Corbin Art is to establish the distinct divide between humanity and the animal world, which you were just saying. With that in mind, did you see this article? It illustrates the muddled moral morass that so-called intellectuals exhibit on this question of separating us from beasts. And what, what was it? It's an article from a, a, a magazine called Nautilus, which is, it was issued with 58, a science magazine founded in, in 2013. And so there's an article written here by a professor of psychology emeritus at the University of Washington. And um, it was, it's the modified version of a chapter from his book, which is called Through a Glass Brightly, Using Science to See Our Species as It Really Is. It was published in 2018 by Oxford University Press. So I'll, I'll read this, but I hope that nobody is going to just open, open up to this broadcast in the middle. <laughs> and I hope people understand. Please understand I'm quoting from this article. This is not my own opinion. The article is called, It's Time to Make Human-Chimp Hybrids. Ouch. Yeah. Okay. Here, oh, boy. And I quote, and I quote, The human Z is both scientifically possible and morally defensible. It is a bit of a stretch, but by no means impossible or even unlikely that a hybrid of a, or a chimera combining a human being and a chimpanzee could be produced in a laboratory. After all, human and chimp share, by most estimates, roughly 99% of their nuclear DNA. It is not unreasonable to foresee the possibility, eventually, perhaps the likelihood of producing human Zs or chimp humans. Such an individual would not be an exact equal parts of each combination, but would neither be human or chimp, rather something in between. And then oh he continues. Un- okay, and then he continues. These are his words. And he writes, if that prospect isn't shocking enough, here's an even more controversial suggestion. Doing so would be a terrific idea. The year 2018 is the bicentennial of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, subtitled The Modern Prometheus. Haven't we learned that Promethean hubris leads only to disaster, as did the efforts of the fictional Dr. Frankenstein? But there are also other disasters currently ongoing, such as the grotesque abuse of non-human animals, facilitated by what will be the most hurtful theologically driven myth of all times, that human beings are discontinuous from the rest of the natural world since we were specifically designed and endowed with souls, whereas they, or other creatures, were not. 
I propose that the fundamental take-home message of such creation would be to drive a stake into the heart of that destructive disinformation campaign of discontinuity of human hegemony over all other living things. Uh, he goes, he wow. goes on and on. Talk about driving a, a stake in the heart of Vaikra. Exactly. Oh, my basically, goodness. Basically, what, what he is saying um, is that um, this is necessary, in his opinion, in order to um, demonstrate once and for all that human beings are not superior. Um, and he goes, oh, I don't want to read any more from this article. It's very depressing. But basically, he says, I'll just read one more sentence. He says, in any event, the nonsensical insistence that human beings are uniquely created in God's image and endowed with a soul, whereas other living things are mere brutes, has not only permitted but encouraged an attitude toward the natural world in general and other animals in particular that has been at best indifferent and more often downright antagonistic, jingoistic, and in many cases, intolerably cruel. This is a self-serving myth. End quote. Well, it's a lie, so too. Because you know, because even even as a Noahide, the the one of our laws is 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 not to be cruel to animals, you know. And Jim, Jim, the whole idea of the Korbanot in the temple is to remind a human being of his divinely given humanity, but it's also an exercise in in kindness, the very manner in which the the animals are are prepared and brought to the altar. The the Kohanim themselves are are on a on a, a level of chesed. Their their whole representation is the is the world of chesed. The greatest chesed of all, the greatest kindness is that which the human being needs. And what this scientist is doing is he's he's basically validating my my whole assertion that man is is cascading down a slippery slope and that will lead, lead to man's undoing because because did you get what he said he said the most hurtful myth of all time is that man was created with a divine soul but jim what, what's going on here is that this is an effort to um cure mankind of the thought that he has a soul and what happens then what happens if you can establish that man is no different than a chimpanzee and that they're they're interchangeable doesn't that mean ultimately that man will be released from all responsibility and basically can live like an animal? Because, yeah, because, because he can't help because himself. The, law, the no. bottom line of it is that is this, excuse me for saying it, but what he's really basically saying is that human life is essentially meaningless because it's, there's no calling. There's no calling to be better. What, what, you know, what right do we have to be hurtful thinking that we could be better? So, but don't you know that we, that, 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 that our sages saw all of this, and that this and that there's nothing new under the sun. And that's what's so shocking well, here, because in the generation of the flood, mm -hmm. our sages teach bestiality was institutionalized. And right. why is it that we find this midrash that's three thousand years old that the sages say that marriages complete were with marriage contracts were performed between man and animals in the days of the flood? Right. As soon as the, as as you you say that a human being is not different than an animal and that we might as well make a hybrid. And, and, and in that film that I made a couple of years ago, I, I went on to say that I was so, you know, so totally uh, taken aback by the, by this whole approach that I, I investigated a little bit further to find out what this magazine is all about. And I found a review in the New York times written when it first came out and it states the magazine states in its first issue, which appeared online in, in April 2013, its single theme there was what does or does not make the human race special. And that particular, that particular um, issue used an epigraph from a 1995 statement from St Stephen Hawking, in which he said, the human race is just a chemical scum on a moderate-sized planet orbiting around a very average star in the outer suburb of one among a hundred billion galaxies. And, and all of this is being played out today because today anything goes today. There is no gender today. There is no rhyme or reason for any sort of boundaries for human behavior. Yeah. And that's well, why we, the, the book of Ayakra is the heart of everything because the Holy temple is the headquarters for for emphasizing exactly this point that man is different that man is higher and that man is responsible for all creation what's going on in, in the holy temple is not about slaughtering animals it's be, it's about a process of endowing creation 
with with responsibility. That's that's what man is doing in the holy temple. Well, that's the word I was. That, that's the word right there that is a key word because this. I don't know if our listeners realize this, but on the most fundamental level, this over. If we were as a society to embrace this man's thinking, then it would it would overturn the entire judicial system, because because animals can't choose between right and wrong. They they only know what is embedded in their. Uh, their, 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 their nature. They're born that way. They function that way. We as human beings actually are supposed to know the difference between right and wrong. And if a lawyer could take this, take what this man just said, he could go into court and, and can, and if a jury believed what this man just said, that we're really no different than animals, then whatever that criminal is charged with, he's not responsible for it. Because he can't help himself. It's his nature. That it, it, it basically throws out the, this is, I, I think this is, again, uh, this supports the idea of the unity of this entire system that we're talking about is, is, is it may not seem so, the idea of the Corbinote actually also supports a, uh, a, a judicial system and the need for it. Right? Because, because yes. if we're not better than animals, then we who needs a court system? Because we can't help ourselves. So th- this is uh, the, the it, whole idea a, of, of, of bringing a korban, of bringing an offering in the Holy Temple is about safeguarding the divine image and, and, and attempting to refrain from descending yeah. into the darkness of the animal world. And, you know, I, I've spoken about this so many years, the, the whole idea of, of what a sin offering is in the temple. It's that there's been this this confusion in deep down in inside a person, a person become befuddled, and and his actions have blurred the line between his godly soul and his animal nature, and the service of the korban. No, that's why that's why it's called korban to draw close to Hashem because it establishes a distinct divide between humanity and the animal world. That's why it's called. What are the service in the holy temple called? It's called the avodah, which yeah. literally means. The service, but more accurately, work because the constant, relentless job of life is to strive to be a, a human being. And so, but 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 the, the, what's going on there is, it's about repairing chesed. It's about because look at the world today. The, you know, people say to me, uh, for so many years, people have said to me, "Oh, sounds like a big slaughterhouse to me." You know, the world is a slaughterhouse today, yeah. and the concept of of the kohanim. Uh, attending to the offerings in the temple is to transmit Hashem's mercy in the world because everything that the Kohanim are doing in their service of the, of the Korbano is, is proliferating Hashem's kindness in the world. And so someone will say to me, well, how could that be? Uh, the Korbano are brutal. But that's not that's not true. The pagan sacrifices are brutal because what they are, they're just a frenzied bloodletting that are trying to stave off a retribution of of some sort of some sort of threatening menace that toys with a person. But the bringing the Corbin in the Holy Temple is broadcasting the message that Hashem, who is consistently throughout Leviticus referred to only as the name of mercy, that he is the master of mercy, that he has total mercy on his, on his creations and, and a man bringing an offering to the altar in the Holy temple. Don't forget, where does he bring it to? He brings it to the place where Adam was created from the right. spot of the altar is the center of his own being. And, the, and so he's called upon to remind himself, why was he created in the first place to know God? And excuse me, an animal doesn't know God. Right. So he well, needs to allow the life force of the animal to be elevated, and and you know, and you know what you were talking about, how every strata is trying is trying to serve the next one up, right? You know what yeah. the temple the temple korban notes they allow the life force of the animal to be elevated because because he's aiding man because when the man stands there, you know what the atonement of the man is that when he has this ripple of teshuva of repentance through him, thinking to himself, goodness, I really blurred the line here, but I am not an animal. I am a man. He, and it went by him able to, able to receive that illumination through the, the process that he is witnessing now, which is a, which is a visceral traumatic experience. It's a great kindness to man because now he is able, he has a motive, a motivation to separate himself from 
his own animal nature within, because when he gives into his dark side, his base animal nature, which is what this doctor is proposing, which is what <laughs> recent legislature is proposing, then everything is lost. Everything right. is lost. If there's no difference between a boy and a girl, talk about being anti-science, you know, if, you know, it's like, it's like people pull out this, again, a, a golden calf, they pull out a golden calf of science but it's such hypocrisy because when it's convenient for them, then they believe in science. But yeah. when, but when, uh, but when there's something as plain as a nose on your face, which is that I'm a boy and, and 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 I'm not a girl. But if I feel like I'm a girl, so well, you know, what about science? No. So this is this is is so strange, and and I'm sorry, but it, it I'll bring up something else because it it reminds me of something else, and that is that. Uh, human life is not considered to be valuable, is not considered to be holy, is not, is not considered to be significant anymore. And again, all of this is what the Holy Temple is all about, why it's the heart of the Torah. A, a, a killing a pre-born turtle is illegal under federal law, and America carries a $100,000 fine and a year in prison. But as you know, killing a, pre, a pre-born human is legal. Yeah. And, and in fact, it's called empowering. And then there's, there's also a United States Endangered Species Act of 1973. You know that you know that uh, I think killing a bald eagle can give you can give you a two hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine, and six months imprisonment, or two years imprisonment. I don't know exactly. But then there's something called the Unborn Victims of Violence Act of 2004. It's Public Law 108-212. It's a United States law which recognizes an embryo or fetus in utero as a legal victim if they're injured or killed during the commission of any of over 60 listed federal crimes of violence, right? The law defines a child in utero as a member of the species Homo sapiens at any stage of development who is carried in the womb. However, however, uh, even though the legislation was hailed by some who interpreted the measure as a step towards granting legal personhood, it's called, to human fetuses, even though the bill explicitly contained the provision accepting abortion, stating that the bill would not be construed to permit the prosecution of any person for conduct relating to an abortion for which the consent of the pregnant woman or a person authorized by law to act on her behalf. So the point is, unborn turtles, bald eagles, these things are sacrosanct, but still not a human fetus, and that's exactly where it's all connected. This is I'm I'm sorry, but I don't think I'm saying anything extreme here. I think this is all connected because Adam is equipped with the divine soul. Adam is the the maestro over all of creation, and we've seen this throughout history, right? That that was the whole secret of of the of the descent of all creation to the point of no return at the time of the flood. Why did all creation have to be destroyed? Because man, because all creation um, descended into this this abyss, because man descended. Uh, I know that, that we talk about the Nephilim, uh, the fallen ones. One of the meanings for that for that word was the abundance of aborted fe- fetuses that that uh, uh, were that, that that occurred prior to the flood. So I think people, by the way, a, a little sidebar, if we didn't make this plain, I, this is a, a, literally a sidebar. Uh, for those who don't yet know, the, uh, the laws of Kashrut, which, which are observed in the, the, the temple offerings, uh, maintain that a, uh, an animal offered uh, cannot be defiled in any way. And, 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 uh, when you slaughter the sacrifice, the, there I did it. I said that word. When you slaughter the offering, if it feels pain, what happens, Rabbi? If the offering feels pain, what happens? It's not valid, right? It's defiled. Right. So it's it is completely the entire process is 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 humane, and and so there is there is no animal that is crying out in pain. In fact, they doesn't the the Kohanim put their their uh, their hand on the carotid artery of the animal and they simply pass out before the actual slaughter takes place. So Jim, the bottom line is that, you know, the, the pagan sacrifices to their gods is basically a a man-made ritual of a fear and death. And it's a, and it's about some sort of 
bribe to like these malignant gods yeah. of horror that are that are that are ready to torture a man and uh and, and so it's it's a um some sort of magical magical manipulation what we're talking about in the holy temple of hashem is no less than a a divinely ordained workshop in this continuous fine art of becoming a better human being it's it's basically you know again i i i call it a traumatic experience to to stand and to see the offering being brought and it is basically a a workshop an exercise in in a person getting in touch with his own soul on a deep level it's I have a so, question. It's I have a question. There's so much information. There's so many different types of offering. There's so it's a, it's a lifetime of study to understand these commandments, but because because they are so maligned and so under under misunderstood, it, it's 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 just totally dominated by misconceptions and prejudices. I have a question. I was reading um, the work of Rob Cook uh, the other day. In, in preparation for for this discussion about the korbanot, the, the offerings, and he says something remarkable, and I I really want to get your take on it. It's quite startling. He says that there will there that the the third temple will be rebuilt, God willing, may it come speedily, and that the korbanot, the offerings of animals, and and the the the, the uh, the minka offerings of of uh, the wheat and everything, but there he says that there will be a time, there will be a time as we approach the world, you know, the the messianic age, or, or we're we're in it, we're in the beginning of it, that that uh, eventually mankind will reach a point of um, in their their um, in our own. Uh, progress as as uh, as human beings and in our thought that that animal offerings will will no longer be made at, at some point and they w- it will only be the the minka offerings does does the torah support that idea or is there yes. something there, I could, there I, is definitely definitely such an idea and what's remarkable this is the part that startled me because we're talking about right now the point that that one of the functions of this very complex operation that we call Corbinot, the offerings, is to to um, reinforce the difference between humans and the animal realm. But that we, that humanity, in the in the, the coming years, as we go into the future, will reach a point where their relationship with animals will impact the animal realm. You know how the, the story of the flood of the Mabul says that, that human beings became depraved and they in turn, uh, their, their depravity affected the animal realm. But the opposite will happen in, as we approach the messianic or we step into the messianic age in that our relationship with Hashem will elevate to the point where it will impact the animal realm in a very positive way in that animals, we will actually communicate with them on a higher level. Have you read this? And 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 because of that, we will get to a point where we will no longer, it will no longer be necessary to offer the, uh, the animals is, is this correct? Rav Cook is, is, you asked if there was a Torah source for that idea, and it comes from Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 11, and verse um, 9, where the verse says, They will neither injure nor destroy in all of my sacred mountain, for the earth will be as filled with knowledge of Hashem as water covering the sea. So um, it's a deep idea, and it's talking about a a future scenario, a future rectified world. Yeah, exactly. That idea doesn't apply to, let's say, moment and the world is not rectified but still we have a commandment to rebuild the temple yeah and so uh, also our sages tell us that in when the world is rectified there will be no longer a sin offering for example it'll only be the thanksgiving offering but the idea is that is that in a, on a simple level these commandments are, are still relevant and they still apply to us right and, I, and my and my understanding of that is because we are we are talking here about a device that is eternal that hashem created because of an eternal need, a perpetual need within the, the the psyche of a human being to constantly renew and refine himself and strive to be 
an upright human being and not, and not to give in to the, the darker base, baser animal uh, side of himself, which, which is uh, ultimately a, a constant challenge that a person has. And this, this is the, this is the heart. This is the very heart of the Torah. This is, this is the, this book that we're getting into now is that the thing that is closest to God's heart is, is the concept, this holy concept that is embodied in the temple offerings, and that is to elevate the life that God gave us in the service of humanity and and to God. Right? Isn't that really really the center of everything? Absolutely, it is. It is the fundamental principle of everything. Is that we are not only different than the animals, but but that we are responsible for the whole the whole beautiful. Uh, choreography of creation we hold the key to everything because a, a person is the only creation that is able to perceive the the true nature and purpose of all of creation and and when man descends all of creation descends and when man is able to elevate it himself then he's also able to pull up all of creation with him to, for the service of Hashem. And again, as we said, when, when all the forces of creation are working together in harmony for the benefit of man's spiritual uh, ascent in, in the bringing of an offering in the Holy Temple, this is, it brings about a perfection for all of creation. Again, we're dealing with, with a interpolation of so many mis- misconceptions and prejudices and preconceived notions that people have about these things because of upbringing and preconditioning. And so everybody invariably is looking at this whole subject through the lens of non-Jewish interpretation a non-Jewish mindset. And, and that's, that is a, a, a challenge for us to overcome. It's kind of, it's kind of like we have to unravel all this, all these other ideas that have been, that have been, uh, you know, foisted upon this subject, beginning with the very translation of the word as sacrifice, which again, unfortunately, has led to a lot of misunderstanding. But the idea is the subject is eternal. It's very, very holy. And it's a challenge that Hashem is issuing to us all the time to draw close to him, to become engaged in a close relationship and to strive to um, elevate ourselves above the darkness of the animal world, which is which is part of our very nature. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I don't think we have to look very far to see that, that humanity is still on the brink. Maybe, you know, as we've become more sophisticated, maybe our, our tech, our technology is more sophisticated, but we still have this predisposition to divest ourselves of our humanity and let go of everything, let go of all, of all boundaries and give in to the, to that inner turmoil, because that's what a human being is. We, we are created with, with the free choice. That's the basis of everything. And again, it's called the Avodah, the divine service, the offerings in the Holy temple is, is about the work, which is constant and relentless of striving to be, a true human being created in the image of God. The man is bringing the offering there to the place of the altar, which is the, which is the very place from where Adam was created. It's too perfect. The, the whole iconography of the, of the fixing of, of the garden of Eden and getting back to what we're really supposed to be doing in this world. And again, you know, it's all so relevant and people now that are, that are striving to come to Torah, people are, are, Listeners, our our audience that is is uh, learning about these things and and trying to you know uh, plug into the truth of, of Torah and and back off from from things that they've been told about these things. It's a it's a tremendous process of rectification because this is like really what separates people. This mm-hmm. understanding. You know, this is this is such a litmus test of our real commitment to Hashem's Torah because it's it's this whole book has become for many people that really love Hashem that want to love Hashem but it's become like a like a liability you know yeah. it's like it become like it's become like a please don't bring that up it's an embarrassment I I really like the Torah but I I, I can't deal with all of that yeah I uh, our friend Isaac Moses and uh, uh, points out that the 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 um, the letters the the uh, the root of Korban 
is the source for our English word crave. And I think that's a wonderful thing to embrace if you're, when you're listening to this podcast or you go read the Parashat of Ikra, is that this is, this is a, this points to what do you crave? Do you crave God or do you crave the material realm? And, and if you, if you study this, I, I can tell you from my own sort of testimony that studying uh, this Parashat and understanding the real function and the real meaning behind the Corbinote, it, uh, it made me crave more Torah. If you, can, if you can take this concept that is taught here in the very heart of the Torah and you can embrace it and not reject it, I think it will make you crave more Torah. It'll make you crave Hashem and you see Hashem in the, the light that he is not this vengeful God and that he is the creator who says, you know, you have a place, that animal has a place in creation, that plant has a place in creation, and I've given humanity a place in creation as steward over all these things. It, be, it began in the garden, right? Right, and the greatest uh, opportunity that he gives us is to sanctify his name and to declare his oneness and his reality. And again, I want to wish everyone a beautiful Nissan. Everybody's so busy getting ready for Pesach. It's a very busy time of year. And the very air is saturated with the potential of redemption now as we move closer to Pesach. And the thing is, Jim, that everything that we've discussed today reaches an amazing crescendo in the subject of the Passover offering, because yeah. the Passover offering, which is the focal point of the Seder, the, the focal point of the festival of Passover, the festival of freedom, freedom from what? Not only from that brand of Egyptian bondage, which existed then, but from the bondage that exists inside all of us today, some of it is self-imposed and self-inflicted. And some of it comes from the, our confusion about our identity and about who we are. And the whole idea of bringing the Passover offering, as we mentioned, as we've mentioned previously, is to slaughter the so-called gods of this world unabashedly, to rise to the occasion and to slaughter idolatry and to say, no, we will not stand for this because there is only one God. And that one God has sanctified man and has, again, without embarrassment or apology, called man out of the morass of the rest of the life force and said, no, you are special to me, sacred to me, holy to me, and only you can know who I am, and you are responsible for all creation. Yeah, I want to whet everybody's appetite before we wrap up because we're running out of time, and that is there's a very, very wonderful concept at the very beginning of this parashat uh, that has to do with the uh, the olive in the word Vayikra, and you're going to talk about that in your video message, aren't you? Because I, 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 I guess I'll have to now. You, you'll have to now because it's a wonderful teaching. Uh, watch the rabbi talk about it in his video message. I just want to whet everybody's appetite, okay? <laughs> oh, goodness. So, have a continuous blessed month of Nisan, everybody. Shalom, shalom. Shalom.